0: This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com Today we are discussing a very interesting and important topic, and that is Moshe Rabbeinu. And we're going to talk also about knowledge of Hashem, the two themes that go right through this Torah, which is interesting. From the birth of Moshe, every single parasha has hit Moshe. Every single parasha except for one, where Moshe's name is not mentioned, that's parasha Tetzaveh, but every single parasha, imagine from now until Simchat Torah, we're going to hear about one name constantly in the Torah. And that name is Moshe Rabbeinu. So it's interesting. Moshe is a giant among the greats. Moshe Rabbeinu is the giant. You have to understand, Moshe Rabbeinu is a giant. He, There's no other prophet, Ramon tells us, then, like Moshe. Moshe's prophecy was the greatest prophecy ever cannot be contradicted by any other prophet. Moshe's prophecy cannot be contradicted by any other prophet. It's one of the 13 principles of faith. And so and he's mentioned every single parasha except for one from now to Tzibkha Torah. So first, we talk about the birth of Moshe Rabbeinu. The birth of Moshe Rabbeinu was an anonymous birth. Why was it an anonymous birth? Because when a child is born, he doesn't really have a name, doesn't have a reputation. He's born anonymously, especially in a time where they're throwing every baby into the sea, into the river. right? River Nile, they throw every firstborn uh, boy into the River Nile. So why give him a name? He's not even called a name yet. In fact, his name was given to him by his stepmother, his adopted mother, who was Bitya. Some people say Batia, but the Torah says Bitya in, uh, in Navi It calls her Bitya. The daughter of God, it means the same thing. Batya, Bitya means the same thing, the daughter of God. So Moshe's name, Moshe, the name Moshe was given to her by Bitya. It it wasn't given to her by his real mother, Yochavet. The uh, Midrashim give other names for Moshe, Yekutiel. His other name was Tov, Tovya, different names for Moshe Abenu, But the name that stuck to him was the name given by his adopted mother, Bitya, Bitya. So it's interesting, we have to we give her the credit of giving him his name, Moshe Rabbeinu, which we're going to talk about. So first of all, we have to know that the conditions of his birth was under threat of danger, that his parents are not even mentioned, and he, his name is not mentioned. It's interesting. He was born anonymously to anonymous parents. Only in next week's parasha we find out who the parents are. His saving and adoption by the daughter of Baruch with his own mother as a nurse. That was a miracle. So this is really the miraculous story of Bashar is Number one, he survived. Number two, he was born, because uh, the Midrash says his parents separated, because you're not allowed to have children in times of uh, war or difficulty or, uh, say, Holocaust. Um, and his uh, his sister, Miriam, told his father, you're worse than Pharaoh. Why? Because Pharaoh only decreed against the males, but you're also decreed against the females. So... Get back together with your, with your mommy, your Heved. And so he did. He listened to Miriam, and Moshe Rabbeinu was born. So that's number one. Moshe Rabbeinu's birth was also a miracle. Number two, his saving from Pharaoh and being thrown into the river now, was also a miracle. And number three is he was adopted by no other than Pharaoh's own daughter. This is, li- this is really, this is mind-boggling. It's hard to imagine, right? Here is, it's like, it's like saying, you're or Hitler. You have to understand, Pharaoh is like a Hitler. In fact, a lot of the techniques used by Pharaoh to get rid of the Jews, concentration camps was an invention of Pharaoh. Separating the men from women was was an invention of Pharaoh. Hitler modeled himself after Pharaoh. Now think about this. Here is the Hitler of the time, Pharaoh, adopting in his palace, his daughter adopted a Jewish boy. Now this is mind-blowing. That the leader of the Jews had the best possible Egyptian education. He was educated as a prince in Pharaoh's house, in Pharaoh's own house. Here, the anti Semite classified number one is raising in his own house this Jewish boy. This, This is wild. This is mind boggling, right? So, his saving and adoption was by Pharaoh's daughter. And who does Pharaoh's daughter hire to feed the baby? Who, we, who, who gave milk to the baby was no other than his own mother. Here, look at, the, look at Hashem's humor. I, I think of this as God's sense of humor, right? Here's the greatest enemy of the Jews, raising the future leader of the Jewish people in his house. Right? Here is the greatest enemy of the Jews, paying the Jewish mother to feed her own child. Right? Think about it. Right, you're the mother. You hide the baby, throw him in the river, put him in the basket in the river, and Pharaoh's daughter finds the baby. And Miriam goes to run to the But you want someone to a witness for the baby, and she says yes. And she brings her own mother, and she's paying the mother for five years to feed the baby. It's amazing, and and it's interesting is because this is where he gets his background from. He got he was educated early age by his own mother because. Bitya gave the baby to the mother for five years to raise the baby, to have, give, give food to the baby. So that's, that's wild. His rise in the household of Pharaoh and his renunciation of all this, he was raised as a prince in Egypt and he could have stayed as a prince of Egypt. He could have taken over Egypt one day maybe. He comes to the aid of a persecuted Jew, identifying himself with his people and at great cost to himself, he's forced to flee Egypt. This is He becomes an outcast in both societies. He's an outcast in Jewish society. You know, the Jews know him as the Egyptian prince. He's an outcast in Pharaoh's society now because he's, he's uh, identifying with the Jews. And he's outcast. He runs away from Egypt. This is wild. This is, this is not what you expect from the beginning of this story is it starts in, with terrible things. It starts, and the whole story, it's not just Moshe, but also the Jewish people in Egypt, it starts, they run away, and they go to their brother, Joseph, who supports them, and then the Pharaoh turns against them. So it starts on a very bad note. The book of Shemot starts on a very poor note, and it ends on a very high note. The book of Shemot, we have to understand, starts on a very poor note, ends on a high note, and the same thing applies to Moshe Rabbeinu's story, starts on a very low note, but eventually ends on an extremely high note, which we're going to talk about. So his new life as a shepherd in the wilderness. Now, it's interesting, he goes to, he runs away to Midian, and he meets the girls. Now, there's a few different points in the life of of Moshe Rabbele, which illustrates how he grew, right? So what happened? How, How did he grow? So number one is the first event that really made him grow is when he identifies with the persecuted Jews here he is, he could escape he's a prince in the house of Pharaoh no one knows he's Jewish, well they may have their, their suspicions, but they don't know for sure he is, uh, Pharaoh's looking after him, personally Midrash says he had a test when he was younger and that's how he got a lisp. but he survived and uh, no more suspicion and now he's clear, all of a sudden he sees this Egyptian taskmaster beating the Jew and he risks his life and saves the Jew and buries the taskmaster. The uh, source says he killed him with the name of God. That's a very important idea. He killed him with the name of God. He didn't use any violence. He just said God's name. And we're going to talk about more about that. How God is the life force of everything in this world. God is the life force of everything in the world. God gives life and God takes away life. God is the life force. God decides. And then he has to run away. Okay, that's a choice. Again, he has to make this choice. He's now an outcast. He runs away and he runs to Midian over there he sees persecution now what's interesting about Moshe Abedu it didn't matter if a Jew is being persecuted or a non-Jew is being persecuted Moshe Abedu could not stand still and see persecution of these women the daughters of the priest of Midian the Torah tells us Yitro priest of Midian who was now a believer in one God and that's why they hated him the Midianites didn't like him, and they didn't like his daughters. That's why the shepherds over there refused to let his daughters feed their sheep. Moshe intervenes. Moshe cannot see an injustice and not intervene. So that's the second story. It's, uh, he's seeing a non, non-Jewish girls um, on the receiving end from these non-Jewish shepherds, and again, he can't stand still. He intervenes. And not only does he intervene, and get rid of the shepherds, and chase them away, and he feeds the sheep of these girls. And these girls go back. There's seven daughters. Yutra has seven daughters. Doesn't say eight sons. He has seven daughters. And here's the story. How come, girls, you're coming back so early today? And the girls say there was this Egyptian man. And obviously he was dressed as an Egyptian. And he saved us from the shepherds. And Yutra says, where is he? Bring him quickly. i got seven daughters to marry off. Bring him quickly. <laughs> so... Moshe Rabbeinu goes, he's introduced to Yitro, and Moshe Rabbeinu marries the daughter of Yitro, who was Zipporah. So this is an interesting second story of Moshe Rabbeinu's growth. The third story is a Midrash. And the Midrash says, well, we know the Torah says he became a shepherd to Yitro's sheep. And the story the Midrash says is, one day he sees the big hefty sheep pushing away the small sheep from the water. And he takes the side of the persecuted, the small sheep, the persecuted. He picks up the small sheep, gives him food and water, looks after the small sheep, and then he has this vision. So number four is the vision. He has the vision of the burning bush. So all these things happen to him, and you see over here. Number one is his humility. Number two is defiance of Pharaoh and the might of Egypt. Number three is eventually he is called on by God. Now, I don't know about you, I have never been called on personally by God. God never spoke to me, right? And the fact is that today we have no more prophecy, which means God does not speak to us directly. So how does Hashem speak to us today? And the answer is, He speaks to us through the Torah. All the messages of Torah, when a person reads Torah, person's got to think, Hashem is speaking to me personally through the Torah. What is Hashem trying to tell me? What is is the message I'm trying to get? So let's try and investigate. What is the message for us in this week's Parashah of Shemot? Number one, it's called Shemot because names are very important. The names we give our kids are tremendously important because when a person says, who am I? The first thing that comes into the head is the name. Now, it's interesting because this Parashah has not just the name of people But also, this is the question we're going to deal with later on. And that is, what shall I ask God, who are you? When they ask me, when the people ask me who you are, what name shall I tell them? So this parashah is about names. This names about people. And it's also names about Hashem himself. This is very fascinating. That we have a mission in this world. Our mission in this world is to get to know God. How can we know God? We're going to talk about that. So a name is very, very critical. The names we use are very very good so hashem calls upon Moshe. obviously he saw moshe caring person he looks after the undertrod the uh, people who are uh, pushed pushed by society and the fringes of society he looks after the sheep and hashem says this is the leader i'm looking for this is the faithful leader of his flock who i can depend on to look after the jewish people i mean fine Moshe Rabbeinu is willing to give his life for the Jewish people. This is this is right in the story of the Golden Cat episode. And Moshe Rabbeinu prays, prays to Hashem, don't destroy them, don't kill them. Please Hashem, erase my name from your book. I'm willing to sacrifice myself. That's what Hashem was looking for in a leader. Someone who is willing to sacrifice themselves for the good of the people. That is something which is very, very critical. That was, that was what Hashem was looking for. And that's why he chose Moshe. So his humility on the one side, and his defiance of authority. Moshe Rabbeinu had the strength of character. That's amazing. Strength of character to defy authority, not just to defy authority, but go and speak to the king of Egypt and defy his authority face to face. This is wild. That's Moshe Rabbeinu had this character, tremendous character. On one hand, he was very kind and very uh humble, And caring, on the other hand, he had the strength of character to withstand exile, to withstand uh, threats, and to go and speak to this great king face-to-face and defy him face-to-face. So he had all these qualities that Hashem was looking for, and his life as a shepherd, again, this time of a different flock. So he starts off his affair as a shepherd to uh, Yitro and Midian, and Hashem says, I want to choose you as the shepherd of my people. You're going to be the shepherd of my people. You're going to, you care about this suffering. So not only did he alter the course of Jewish history, but Moshe Abenu, we have to understand, altered the course of humanity. And we have to understand that. Moshe Abenu altered the course of humanity. How? Because Judaism gave the world this idea of one God who's invisible and all-powerful, and he's a moral God who demands ethics and morality. That's amazing. And two other great religions came out of Judaism. So Judaism planted the seeds. Moshe Rabbeinu, everything comes from Moses. Moshe Rabbeinu planted the seeds of monotheism and ethics and morality in the world. (coughs) Unfortunately, the world is not perfect because humanity is not perfect. We have to try and reach the goals that Moshe Rabbeinu set for us. That's what we have to do. Let's try and reach these goals in the Torah that Hashem sets forth for us because this is what Hashem wants from us. He wants us to be moral. He wants us to be ethical. He wants us to be kind. He wants obviously, to fight for our rights like Moshe Rabbeinu would fought for his rights. So no other Nabi like him, one of the 30 principles, he was surely a great man. Now the question the philosophers have argued about for centuries is does a great man make the times or do the times make the man? Okay. So is it the influences of the great person who influences society, who changes things, or is it the, the place and where and how he's born influence the great person? So there's a massive debate between the, the different philosophers. I'm not going to go into I'm not a philosopher. I'm not going to go into it. And, uh, Tolstoy in War and Peace tries to prove that even Napoleon the Great was only a person in the march of civilization. He was just a pawn in the march of civilization. Anyway, I'm not going to talk more about it, but that's the question is, did the time cause Moshe to be great, or would Moshe have been great in any time? And that's the big debate uh, the countries have. Rashi brings down between Rav and Shmuel regarding Noach. Noach was a sadiqist in his time. And so Rashi says, well, there's different opinions. One opinion says, if he was a tzaddik in his time, how much more so he'll be a Sadiq in better times? And the other opinion says, no, if he, he was a tzaddik in his time, but in the time of Abraham, he'd be a zero. So does this, the times make the person great, or does the person make the times great? Okay, so that's philosophy. I'm not going to go much into that. But why do we consider, say, Eliyahu Anavi our hero? And we have a special cup for Eliyahu Navi, and, and we have a chair for him at the Brit. So, yeah, Eliyahu Navi at Haggadah, we have the Kos shel Eliyahu. And a Brit Bila, you have a Kisei shel Eliyahu. And the answer is because he loved justice and he was dedicated to Sir Why do we consider all these great rabbis great, the Vildegam, the Yosef Karo, the Ramba, Benish Chai, why are they heroes? Because they love learning. So what do we see in Moshe that makes him our hero? So number one, he hated oppression. He hated oppression. He hated the oppression of the Jewish people. Number two is, he loved justice. So he loved justice. The Torah tells us, to Sedeq, run after righteousness, run after justice. And he had compassion on the daughters of Yitro. You see the compassion. On the, he had compassion on the person who was being whipped by the Egyptian taskmaster. He had compassion on the little sheep. And he had humility. He was so concerned about his own brother's honor. He refuses to be the leader of a seven days younger God. Why? Aaron, my big brother, he's my older brother. How can I be the leader and he be number two? And until Hashem tells him, don't worry, Aaron is going to be very happy. And not only is he going to be happy, he's going to be happy in his heart, which means he doesn't only show happiness, he's truly going to be happy. That was the greatness of Moshe and Aaron. And we're here with we, We're starting a new stage of Jewish history, and that is brotherly love. Because Brashit ends off with brothers making friendship. But we don't know if it was true friendship or fake friendship. Did the brothers of Yosef really believe that he loved them, or were they just thinking? And it's not so clear, but here, that's... Someone asked me last week, what is the... If you give me Brashit and one foot, what would you tell me? So I said Brashit is all about brothers hating each other. And brothers hate each other, what happens? Then the breakship is exile. If brothers hate each other, it ends in exile, it's not a good ending. But Shemot ends we're in exile, but brothers love each other. And that is the secret of redemption. And brothers and sisters, which we they did. Those three amazing love between them. Miriam, Aaron, and Moshe, Miriam, Aaron, and Moses, they loved each other. There was like a bond between them, inseparable bond. Between them, they loved each other tremendously and that was the secret of our redemption, the secret of our redemption is when we get along you know, we have to get along, in Israel, outside Israel Jews have to get along, we have to, that's the secret of redemption so now, right now, everyone's united everyone in Israel today is united we're fortunate, thank God all the divisiveness that was before the war has nearly, nearly evaporated I would say it's completely evaporated and hopefully it'll never come back if we're united, no one can touch us. It's interesting, in English, the, the same the same letters for united and untied. You mm-hmm. can either be un- united or untied, the same letters exactly. And that is something which we have to imbibe from this parasha. Moshe Abenu, Aron and Miriam loved each other. That's the point. There's no jealousy. That was a, there was no jealousy, not like the brothers of, Pharaoh, of of Joseph who were jealous. There was no jealousy between Miriam, Aaron, and Moshe. They served as a team. It doesn't matter who was the boss. It was a team. They wanted to serve God as a team, and they served God as a team. So Moshe Rabbeinu had humility. He was considered by his brother's honor. He had readiness to sacrifice for his ideals and his people. And uh, he was our greatest teacher. He is called Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe, our teacher. Now, the Rambam said Moshe Rabbeinu was the first king. We don't really realize that. He was like a king. He was the boss. He was not just a king; he was a general. We have to understand that. We, we, you know, there's so many aspects of Moshe Rabbeinu's leadership that we don't even talk about. We talk about Moshe as a prophet. Okay, we think about Moshe as a prophet. He's the teacher. He's also the leader. He's the god, He's the king. He's also the general of the army. He gave instructions how to fight. He told Joshua, "You go lead the people against Amalek." He tells, uh, "Go lead the people against Midian," and uh, he's the he is the commander in chief. Moshe Rabbeinu is the command-in-chief, he's also the teacher, he's the rabbi, he's the prophet, he's the link between man and God, and he's the one who teaches the people what God wants. So interesting, he was multi-talented, um, completely, he could he could do anything. He was an amazing character, I wish we could just have a glimpse, I mean, we do have a glimpse of the Torah what he does, we have no understanding, you've got imagine the multi-faceted character, Moshe Rabbeinu. His everyday life was just multi-dealing with people non-stop. He was a people's person and he was a God's person. He could have, he could speak to people and speak to God. And the Torah says he was speaking to the daughters of had, He says, "Wait a second, let me ask God what he wants." He could flip backwards and forward. No other prophet could do this. He could flip into prophecy and speak to God. He could come back, not lose his sense of time or his sense of what was going on in the physical world and relate can relate to both aspects the spiritual and the physical there's never been a prophet like that so righteousness and learning these were our heroes that is the key to the jewish souls of the past righteousness and learning what kind of souls we possess today who are our heroes today is it the artist or the musician or the actor or the sportsman or politician or the wealthy which is you know that's a big thing today who is the wealthiest person in the world Forbes list right that's Our heroes, so our heroes are not like that. Our heroes are righteous and learned. That's very, very important. The Torah tells us, the boy grew up. And Yochever brought him to the daughter of Pharaoh. And the daughter of Pharaoh calls him Moshe. I gathered him out of the water. And the next verse says, again, Vaidal Moshe. And Moshe grew up. Twice does it say he grew up. First, it says he grew up and his mother brought him to the daughter of Pharaoh. And the second time it says, Moshe, He grew up and went out to his brethren. The Ramban Nachmanakis asks, Why are these two expressions of Agdal? Why does it say Moshe Rabbeinu grew up twice? He answers, physical growth and spiritual growth. This is our mission. We need to grow up both ways. Physical growth and spiritual growth. He became what's known as an Adam Gadol, a great personality. The fact that he went to see his brethren suffering indicates he was a great personality. The definition of greatness is empathy with the pain of others. That's a very important definition. of Greatness is the empathy of the pain of others. That's why it's so traumatic today to live in Israel. And see the war that's going on around us. And every day seeing the, the names and the pictures of the dead, the dead soldiers, it's, it's it's tragic and it's traumatic for us because empathy. We feel empathy for them, our brothers and our sisters that are suffering and the prisoners who are suffering. So that's the greatness of a person is empathy. The greatness of a person is to empathize with other people. The definition of greatness is empathy with the pain of others. What's called beol bear the burdens of his friend. Bear ones, the burdens of others. And that is number one through empathy. Moshe bear the burdens of others, he went out and saw the challenge, he went out and saw from the outside, he didn't just look from the outside, inside, he actually felt their pain. as parents, educators, teaching children to look beyond themselves, that's number one thing, when we teach our children, we have to teach them to look at other people's pain. When I was uh, early childhood, I was uh, observing the early childhood when I was in education, and we have this great early childhood principal, amazing woman. This was amazing, amazing woman. And what happened was, as two kids normally do, two boys, smack. One boy smacked the other. And one boy's crying, comes to the teacher, teacher, you know, he smacked me. And the principal says to the boy, he says, look at the boy who you smacked. See, his crying. You think he's happy or sad? And the boy says, "Well, he's crying. Must be sad. You think it's fun for that boy to feel sad? No, because he's crying. No, he's feeling sad. So she's teaching that young boy empathy. That's something which we have to teach our children and people in our schools. These are these are the first things we have to teach them: is empathy for others. You see how not just how what I want. How will other people feel if I say this to them? How will other people feel if I do this to them?" Since so this is what Moshe Rabbeinu was understood from an early by ha'yelet. He grew up as a child in a physical sense, and he grew up in a spiritual sense. What does that mean? He went to see his brother's pain and he empathized with his brother. So very, very important. Now, what I want to focus on now for the rest of this class is this idea of Hashem. Hashem's name, which is, is so critical. Because when we think of God, what do we think of? We think of his name. His name is critical. And the name of God is the pathway to God. The name of anyone is their pathway. How do you get to someone? You call their name. I want to speak to you. I call you by your name. I will say, hey, how are you doing? What's, what's, well, maybe people do, do today. That's the slang, But the way to pathway to someone is by calling their name. And, you know, when I was uh, in, when my kids were younger, I had a daughter, my youngest daughter. And she would say, Abba, and I'd be looking at my computer and typing something up, and I wouldn't look at her. I'd say, yeah. And she said, Abba, you're not looking at me. So how do we cause this interaction, human interaction? The answer is through the name. How do we cause spiritual interactions? The answer is by using God's name. Everything we do, blessings, prayers, everything, we use different names of God. Now, Raman tells us there are seven names of God, which are so holy, we're not allowed to raise them. The seven names of God. Kel, Eloka, Shakai, Tzvakot, and Anut. So seven names of God, which are so holy, we're not allowed to raise them. And it's a very serious thing to raise these names. So, but over here, Moshe Rabbeinu has a revelation. at Mount Sinai. And he sees this burning bush, and then he hears this voice. And the rabbis tell us the voice was, the same voice of his father. And, and the commentaries say Hashem did not want to shock him. Imagine if Hashem would go, boom out, Mordor! it's shocked. No. It was the voice of his own father that he could that her, heard, and he wasn't shocked. He wasn't amazed. He was calm and soothing. And then he says, Yeah. He says, I am the God of your forefathers, Abraham Yitzhak Yaakov." Hashem says, I am the God of your forefathers, Abraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov. And then later on, it's interesting, Moshe Abena says, When the Jewish people ask me, What is your name? What shall I tell them? This is what I want to talk about in the next part of the class is, What is your name? How will I tell the Jewish people your name? What name shall I use? Now, it's interesting because there's a statement in Mishlei, the book of parables, the book of, uh, written by King Solomon, who was the wisest person. Chapter eighteen is a long book. We went through it one time. You can look it up backwards in the classes Go on Torah anytime. Mishlei, the book of Proverbs, eighteen ten. Migdal oz shem hashem.
1: The name of Hashem
0: is a tower of strength. Migdal oz shem hashem. The name of God is a tower of strength. Bo Yaruth, and inside that tower of the name of Hashem, the righteous will run and rise up and find perfection. The name of God is our tower. So this is wild. Moshe Rabbeinu is asking God, what is your name so that my people, Israel, can use your name as their tower of strength and we can run inside it and grow. It's a, it's a, how do you grow? You grow inside God's name. What does that mean? So we have to understand this this verse a little bit more fundamentally. It doesn't say that Hashem is a tower of strength. Now I would say that's that's what you know. Guess what, Kisaam should have written. God is a tower of strength. No, it says God's name is a tower of strength. Um, God's name is a tower. The name of God is the tower. It's the name of God that is described as a fortress for us to take shelter in. We have to take shelter in God's name. There's another there's another verse, and this is in Psalms, Book of Psalms, Psalm twenty, verse eight. <speaking in Hebrew> These people will ride in chariots. <speaking> in <Hebrew> These people will ride on on horses. <speaking in Hebrew> what do we come with? We come with Hashem's name. Hashem Hashem Naskir. We'll come with the name of God, our Lord. And we'll mention that name, the name of Hashem. You have to understand, our army is the name of Hashem. And our fortress is the name of Hashem. Because when you're in trouble, what is the first thing to do when you're in trouble? Obviously, there's physical things to do. But there's also spiritual things to do. You know, I heard this great story uh, last week. My, mother, my wife told me this story. And she said that there were, there were two soldiers going in on the first day. The worst day was the first day, October 7th. I'll never forget. It was Simchat Torah. Um, we're hearing sirens going up and down the shul every every five minutes. Now the sirens. at least seven sirens that day. It was terrible. And Yushalayim. I can't imagine what it was like closer. And, and there was nothing. There was no no one on duty. There, I mean, it was like empty. It was like it was a disaster. There was no air force. There was nothing in the sky. There was no planes. There was no There was no guards. It was like an empty, the border was, was not controlled. The border was empty of soldiers. It was a terrible disaster. And these guys just poured over the border and uh, they called up the troops to go and fight these guys. It's interesting, they didn't send tanks or they had no tanks on, on duty over there. They had no planes on duty. Interesting. They, to, they called up the reserves, go and quickly go to the Negev and fight these guys. And two guys go. I'm just telling the story of two guys, two Meluim, the reserves. They go, they're friends, they go, they're not at all religious. They go, and there's there's, there's artillery and missiles, and they're so scared, they're terrified. One, One of them says, if we get out of here alive, I'm going to start keeping Shabbat. If we get out of here alive, I'm going to start becoming religious, I'm going to start keeping Shabbat. He said, within a few seconds, everything stopped. All the artillery, all the missiles, everything stopped within a few seconds. And sure enough, this is the friend saying it. He says, "My friend became Shomay Shabbat. Since that time, he's been Shomay Shabbat." He said, "I'm not Shomay Shabbat yet, but now I'm going to Friday night prayers because the first thing we do when we're in trouble, we have to remember this: when we're in trouble. Is scream out, Hashem, help me, Hashem, save me. If you scream out to Hashem to save you, I heard another story. This is a this is one of the stories I heard. I was in uh, in uh, Park." And there was an Israeli soldier who came back. That time it was the Lebanon War. I think it's the second Lebanon War. He was in Lebanon. And he says a true story. So what happened in Lebanon is they were advanced. They crossed the Litani River, which is advanced. They went into Lebanon, infantry going into Lebanon. And they sort of lost their way. They lost their way back to the main army. And they didn't know what to do. And the, and the, the captain didn't know what to do with these troops. They were lost in the Lebanon. And He says, "Guys, he says, only one thing to do. Let's say Shema Israel together. Let's pray to God and say Shema Israel together." And they all said Shema Israel. All of them, not all of them were religious. Not all of them knew what Shema Israel. He's explained to them, What does that mean? This is the fundamental of our faith. There's one God who will help us. So they all say Shema Shema Yisrael. And this is, a, this is a true story I heard from the guy himself. He says, "All of a sudden, they see a cloud in the sky, and, it's, and it becomes like a mist and a fog, and." It seems like they were surrounded by the the Hilbalah and they went into the fog and it led them back to Israel. It's interesting. So, again, you you hear the stories and Israel Hashem doesn't have faith, but we have to have faith in God and Hashem will help us. We're in trouble. And how do we get in touch with Hashem? Through his name. His name is our fortress. So let's go more into this. What does that mean? So Moshe Rabbeinu says, what should I tell them? What should I tell the Jewish people? Who is sending me? And Hashem says, pay attention, the No Hashem's mean, name means the No Hashem. That's the rock bottom of the Torah. Okay, The Duties of the Heart. The Duties of the Heart written by Bakhia Ibn Bakuda, a thousand years ago. First Sefer Mulsar. The first of our books of ethics it was written in Spain. Bakhia Ibn Bakuda, it's called Hawat Levabot, Duties of the Heart. Amazing book. Um, it has two volumes in English. Just get the second one. Don't buy the first one. The first one is really heavy-duty philosophy. If you're a philosopher, okay. The second one is the one you want that talks about different things. The the thoughts, the belief system of the Torah, explaining everything to us. So he says, the Chorah says, in Shara HaBechina, he says, your service to Hashem and your love to Hashem depends on how much you know about Him. If you don't know anything about Hashem, how can you relate to Hashem? How can you love Hashem? There's a myth of the Torah to love Hashem. It's in the Shema. There's a mitzvah to fear Hashem. But if you don't know who He is, and it's so hard to know Hashem, how do we know Hashem? That's what Rab, that's what the Rambam says as well. Rambam says our perfection is measured by how much we are aware of the attributes of God. That's interesting. In other words, our relationship to Hashem is a measure of our perfection in this world. You can't be perfect. You can't be perfect if you don't know Hashem. Our measure of perfection, as well, is. is based on how much of Hashem you know. You know, the Rambam over there in, uh, talks about Abba, the world to come. And he says in the world to come, don't take this literally, there's not, nothing physical in the world to come. He says the righteous are sitting and their crowns are on their head. That's what the Talmud says. The so Rambam explains. What does that mean? Number one, sitting does not mean there's no sitting on standing. He says that. No sitting on standing in the world to come. So what does that mean? That means we're not striving. The world to come, there's no striving. It's the levels you've reached here that's where you're gonna be there. That's that's your and that's your Ramah. Levels we reach here is where we're gonna go and over there. There's no striving. We're sitting, there's no striving for the world to come. And then he says, and the crown is on your head. What's the crown? He said, The crown is your reward for knowledge of Hashem. The crown is how far you reach the knowledge of Hashem. Now, knowledge of Hashem is not just esoteric knowledge, it's how you behave because we have to model our behavior. On the middle of God, we have 13 attributes to copy. Moshe will give us 13 attributes to copy. And we say these 13 attributes whenever we want to pray really hard in times of trouble. We say these 13 attributes. We say these 13 attributes. And Hasidim also say these 13 attributes every single day. Some people say twice a day. Some people say once a day. We say these 13 attributes. What do we say these 13 attributes for? Because that's how we relate to God. How do we relate to God? we behave, if we're modeling ourselves on Hashem, that's what the Rav says we have to model ourselves on God He is our role model now, you can't model yourself on God if you don't know God, so we have to learn who God is and that is what we're talking about, we're talking about Tvekut, Tvekut means clinging to Hashem clinging to Hashem how do we cling to Hashem? and the answer is, number one is we think about Hashem whenever you think about Hashem and we mentioned Hashem's name Avor elecha berachti Hashem says I will come and bless you. If we don't think about Hashem, then our minds are elsewhere. The Romans says when you're when you're with God, you're thinking about Him. You're with Him. When you're not thinking about Him, you're far away. So we have to learn. So you can imagine two people on a train. One person's thinking about Hashem. The other person's thinking about sports or worse. And uh, one person's with Hashem wherever they are, and one person is far away from Hashem. Right, so this is a very important point. When am I? How often am I with Hashem? How often? How many minutes of a day do I spend with Hashem? That's the question. How do you spend time with Hashem? Think about it. Talk to Him. Pray to Him. Do a mitzvah and think about why you're doing the mitzvah because Hashem said to do the mitzvah. That's the time we spend. We're linked to Hashem, and we have to think about that, not just do things by rote. Because if we do things by rote, we're not thinking. So it's very important not to do things by rote and really think. When a person does a mitzvah, Baruch Hashem, I'm thankful. I'm thankful. Hashem, you are the one, you're the creator of the world, you're my God, I'm doing this because you told me to do it. You're the You're the blessed one, you're going to bless me because so I do it. So that is very important. Cling to Hashem. And so when you think about Hashem, when you think of, normally a person thinks of his name. So you'd ke'vavke. So one of the ways of getting to Hashem is, write you'd ke'vavke, or copy it, and just put it up in front of you, on your wall, and think about it. Sometimes... You think about us and you don't, but it's right there in front of you. Uke, Bafke, Hashem's name. So, Moshe, our teacher, Moshe Rabbeinu was our teacher. Moshe Ben loved us like no other leader. He loved his, his children. He loved us. He's willing to sacrifice for us. So, now, what does a good father or mother want for their children? And the answer is, Moshe Rabbeinu wants for his children. We are his children, but in Israel, we are his children. He was a father of Israel. He loved us with all his heart. He wants to... In- let elevate us to the highest levels. That was his life ambition. Moshe Rabbeinu's life ambition was to elevate us to the highest spiritual levels possible. And so, whatever knowledge Moshe Rabbeinu got from Hashem, there's no question he taught it all to B'nai Yisrael. He did nothing but teach Torah for forty years. imagine he did nothing but teach Torah for forty years. He taught it to their children. They taught it to their children. And to their children. And today we have Torah Moshe. It's called Torah Moshe. The five books of Moshe, everything is Moshe, Moshe, Moshe. Even the great uh, learning teachings of future rabbis based on Moshe Rabbeinu's teachings. So when Moshe Rabbeinu asks God, "What, what is your name? What should I tell them? He's trying to find a vehicle to teach his children about spirituality. Hashem, show me the way to teach them about you. What? How can I teach them about you? I need to know your name. I need to know something that you give me so I can teach them and raise them up to high levels. That's what we're talking about. When Moshe Rabbeinu asks the name of God. He's asking for an educational system of how to raise people to high levels. And this is interesting because there's two, two reasons to ask for the name of God. Number one was Moshe Rabbeinu. How do I raise my people to the highest level? What do I teach them? How can I teach them about you, Hashem? How can I get them to link to you, Hashem? And number two is when Pharaoh asks Moshe, and Moshe goes back to Pharaoh and says, let my people go, Hashem, the God of the Hebrews. And, and, and Pharaoh says, who is this God that I should listen to him? Me, Hashem, who is this God? So uh, it's interesting. Is that One of the commentaries says, who is this God? I don't know this God. I need to look him up in my directory. So there's two reasons to find out who is Hashem. Number one is to look him up in a directory. Number two is to try and understand him and link to him. So that's what Moshe Abbey was asking God. And this is what Hashem Ambrose answers. This is one of the riddles of the Torah. is one of them we're going to talk about tonight. Hashem says to Moshe, my name is Ekeye, Asher Ekeyeh. I will be what I will be. I will be what... It's not... It's the mistranslations in English. I am what I am. Wrong. It's in the future tense. I will be what I will be. So we're going to talk about what does that mean? I will be what I will be. It's, it's a mystery. What does it mean? I'll be. So number one is it means God is unchanging. And we refer to God as Yudke Vavke. Hayah hovev He was, He is and will be. He will always be. Hashem is always there. Hashem will always will be. There's nothing else that always will be there. There's nothing else. Even the world, even according to scientists, has a limit. Even the sun has a limit. When the sun dies, we die. So, but Hashem has no limits. I will be what I will be. No limits at all. Okay, we're going to talk about this. Different reasons. So, number one, big. Let's try and understand what it means. I will be what I will be means. First of all, you won't know me. You won't know my name. My you want to know my name, my description. The First thing to know is you'll never know me in this world. I shall be what I shall be means. Make no errors. Don't make any mistake about it. You'll never discover me in this world you'll keep searching and understanding more and more but I will be what I will be unknowable you could understand the bits and pieces, but you'll never know me properly, because I will be what I will be in the future, maybe you'll find that ulama, but maybe you can understand more than over here, but in this physical world, Hashem says you won't know me, you'll know You'll know bits about me it's like, we cannot understand the spiritual, we're not built for a spiritual we have parts of us, where we have a soul but if you can imagine a rock trying to listen to radio waves. There's no, there's no relationship between a rock and a radio wave. So too, we have no relationship you know, with Hashem. How do we even think about Hashem? We're, we're made out of uh, earth, clay. That's the body. It's impossible for the body to tune into Hashem. Only through the soul can we tune into Hashem. Hashem says, whatever I tell you about myself, it will be impossible to fully understand. That's the first explanation. I will be what I will be is you'll not understand me over here. In this world you won't understand me. I will be what I will be. But it doesn't mean a person should not should sit back and say, you know, I'll never be able to understand. What it means is we're gonna try and search as much as we can. I will be what I'll be, it declares that no matter how great is one's wisdom, we have never completed our task. You know, this is something you know the more I learn Torah, the more I know what I don't know. I'm I'm ignorant totally. i was just there's so much Torah, there's so much to learn. You can learn all your life and you're scratching the surface. And then you compare yourself to the greats and say, I really, mean, what I know compared to what I know compared to, I don't know, Rambam and, and Rav Yosef Karo and all the greats who lived before me. It really is a humbling experience. The more I learn, the more humble a person should be because we see the vastness. And then think about learning about Hashem. Now, you can't even, where do you start? I will be but I will be. It's unknowable. So we're gonna start somewhere. We have to start somewhere. So tonight we're gonna to start. So the Torah says, the Pirkei Abel says, you have to do you have to start the work. But lo It's not up to you to finish it. No one finishes the work. Not a single human being finishes his work in this world to to know God and no spirituality and no Torah. Not even Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu didn't want to die. Moshe Rabbeinu says, I'm 120, I want to live more. There's more to achieve. There's, there's no end to growth. I will be what I will be. means it's, it's a call to growth. It's a call to change. It's a call for uh, development. And that was the first mitzvah given to Abraham Avinu. Lech Lecha, Hashem says. Go, go. Lech lecha. go for yourself. Grow, keep growing, keep traveling, keep moving. Don't stop. Just keep going. I will be what I will be. You have to become. The trouble is we never become. We're always on the path. human beings never become. We're always growing, hopefully, and developing. And I will be what I will be. We'll all get there. We'll never get there. But we're trying to get there. And same thing when you learn about God, you'll never get there. That's what Hashem is telling us. You'll never get there. And okay, number two. That's the first explanation. I will be what I will be. You'll never understand me completely. Number two. Now we come to another uh, second commentary: commentary. is to seek Hashem and to understand Him. Well, one of the keys for unlocking the secret for how we seek Him, because Ekiah Shekiah means the first thing to think about as you make your way through the world is I will be wherever you see me. I will be. Hashem is everywhere in this world. And he is wherever we seek him. I will be where I will be. I will be where I will be means I'm here everywhere. Everywhere you want me to be. Everywhere you can see, I'm here. Hashem is everywhere. There's nothing apart from God. I will be where I will be, Hashem says. You want to study me? The first thing you know is the world came into existence and remains in existence because of my command, which is very similar. So, with word Yehi. Yehi-or. Everything is Yehi. Yud-ke-va. Yud-ke-yud. So it's very similar in in letters. It will be. yehi Existence is only what I want it to be. That's second explanation. The existence of the world will be what I want it to be. Okay? I am the controller. I am the creator. I will make it whatever I want to make it. Which means that the true existence of the universe is not really here. It's just a mirage. Without Hashem making it work, it wouldn't be. Hashem is the power behind the universe. The Ramon says at the beginning of his seminal work, the Yad Hazakah Mishnah Torah, he says, only one true thing Hashem Elohim Emet. God, our God, is truth, says the prophet Jeremiah in 10.10. Ramon says it means only He is true nothing else is true. In other words, everything else in this world is a mirage. Everything else in this world is a mirage. It looks like a chair. It looks like a table. It feels like a chair. It feels like a table. It feels like the sun. Everything else is because of God's will. All you see is God's will. God willed it to be, and it's here. So it's God's will. You're not seeing the thing. You're seeing God's will. Because only Hashem is the truth. Let it be. Everything came into existence. Hashem created everything. And that's where everything came from. I will be what I will be. The world will be what I will make it be. Number three. This is interesting. We mentioned this in our prayers on Rosh Hashanah. Um, one of the three main brahut that we add on Rosh Hashanah. On Rosh Hashanah, you know, in every festival, there are seven blessings in Amida. On Rosh Hashanah, there are nine blessings in Amidah, And the first three and last three are always the same every single day, but the middle three are different on Rosh Hashanah from any other festival. There's no other three like this. Malchiyot, Zikronot, Shofarot. Malchiyot is making God the king. We're making on Rosh Hashanah, we appoint God as the king, we're anointing God as the king. Number two is Zikronot. Zikronot is the memory banks of God. Now this is fans. This is what I want to talk about. Where do we exist? And the answer is we exist in God's memory banks this is very important. A person wants eternity. How do we obtain eternity? If you are in God's memory banks, you're there forever because God is unchanging. Ekkiesh <ENTS> Ekkiesh says, I'm going to be here forever. If you will be part of my memory, then you're going to live forever. Your memory lives forever in my memory. That's interesting. When we talk about someone passed away, we say, Zichronod Ebracha. His memory will be for a blessing. Where is his memory? Well, we have his memory, but when, he, when we're gone, his, his memory is gone. The answer is in God's memory banks. His memory and God's memory blank banks should be a blessing, which means when Hashem remembers that person, he should bring bracha into the world. It's a beautiful idea. When Hashem remembers the sadikim, then it brings blessing to us. When Hashem remembers our forefathers, we pray all the time god of our forefathers abraham Isaac, and Jacob. obviously the mothers as well there's no question about it hashem remembers everyone hashem remembers the righteous but if we're not righteous hashem you know what do we say uh is blotted out it means it shouldn't be in god's memory banks It shouldn't live because eternity is based on god's eternity our eternity is based on god's eternity when hashem remembers us we're in his memory banks and those memory banks are forever and it's interesting because that's what the prayer we say on Eid Rosh Hashanah is so important. We say, Hashem, there's no forgetfulness in front of your holy throne. It's totally memory. Hashem's memory is forever. So that's the secret of living forever. You want to be immortal? Make sure you get into Hashem's memory. How do you get? That? <laughs> who do you remember the most in your life? And the answer is the people who gave us goodness, our parents our teachers, our siblings, our family, our friends, people closest to us. And then you remember the evil people, but we don't want to remember them. Shame, rishaim may their names be blotted out. We don't want to remember them. We don't even mention them. We don't try and, and say these names. But So in our memory banks, always lives people who gave us good. And Hashem's memory banks, it's the same thing whoever did goodness for the world, for other people, for themselves, rose up and grew, Hashem remembers them. And that's part three. Part three is zichronot. Eh, yeah, Hashem, yeah. I will be what I will be. It's zichronot. I will be. I'm unchanging, Hashem says. I remember forever. Because I'm going to live forever, whatever takes place is going to last forever. It's going to be with me forever. When we speak kind words to other people, those words live on in the memory of those that heard it. You know, sometimes, you know, we have to you talk to a child and you say some nice words. I remember an event that happened to me when I was like, I don't know, 10. When my uncle gave me, uh, you know, how to pray, say, how to say, that. I mean, I didn't know how to pray, I mean, I didn't to say, that. go back three steps, go front three steps, How to, <laughs> these are things you've got to learn. I remember how he taught me. I remember how my cousin taught me not to use swear words. A beautiful way. These are things that children remember. Who gave you all the kindness my parents showed me. These are things that remember in your memory banks. And these are things that are life forever in Hashem's memory banks. And thing I want to talk about number four is eternal promises. Rashi says this, eternal promises. I will be with you here in this troubles. I'll be with you in all your troubles, Hashem says. These promises I give the Jewish people and give the fathers are eternal. I will be forever. And if you believe in me and you follow my path, you will be with me forever as well. Be'zrat Hashem. We will look forward to all these promises coming true. And Be'zrat Hashem will keep learning the Torah of Moshe HaPelu in his memory. Amen. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.